from Rheumatology Republic, I'm Wendy John. This is In Conversation Podcast. What does long COVID and hair loss have to do with rheumatology? The crossover for rheumatology is where immunosuppressant drugs are being used off-label for severe hair loss. Now we add COVID to the mix where post-viral hair loss can be a symptom. The result? Only interest in immunosuppressants for severe hair loss has risen. In this episode, we get in conversation with consultant dermatologist Dr. Dimitri Wall, who talks about collaborating with rheumatologists in the use of JAK inhibitors. Dr. Wall is a health informatician at National and International Skin Registry Solutions in Dublin, Ireland. He's also deeply involved with the ASTAR Registry. That's the UK Irish Atopic Eczema Systemic Therapy Registry. I started our conversation by asking Dr. Wall how Ireland became so involved in mapping the trend of autoimmune suppressant treatment for hair loss. So from our perspective, we had this infrastructure that was developing, we had supported the development of the UK's National Atopic Dermatitis Registry. We had been involved from the start in terms of working with them in a European network to come up with a data set. We'd also been involved, so the company we work with is the company who built that. Their name is OpenApp. They're based in Dublin, so it's great. We were able to meet up with them and when needs be. But we developed that we had developed a registry for the rare blistering sort of spectrum disorders called epidermolysis bullosa. And then I had been talking with the Australians about developing this global network of patient registries for alopecia areata. And then COVID hit and doctors were stuck in their rooms at home or they were working in the front line. And what we started to see was this really big concern in dermatology where we have and there's hair conditions and atopic dermatitis and other conditions where you sometimes need to put people on immunosuppressive medications. And the question that hits you instantly when you think about a virus that has resulted in significant morbidity and mortality is, are we going to increase people's risk of having severe COVID if we continue having them on the medications? So the immunosuppressant drugs are something that are generally prescribed for people who have different conditions relating to hair loss. It's usually at the severe end of the spectrum. But then we don't want to submit people to extra vulnerability when we've got something no. like COVID around. And will that increase their risk of an infection or an acute infection? That's the concern. And you know, people will have some degree of awareness of this in terms of people they know who might have had organ transplants. And, you know, if you think of the really vulnerable groups, people whose immune systems aren't working well, you're essentially pushing people more into that spectrum when you're on these conditions. So the big concern initially was what happens? This is also relevant. A lot of rheumatology patients. And that's what we found. As we started asking the question about dermatology, we realized that other groups in dermatology and elsewhere were asking the same questions about their patients, like rheumatology, inflammatory bowel disease. Yeah, we started to realize that they all have the same thoughts. And the word secure, which is R2 registry, so secure AD for atopic dermatitis and secure alopecia. The secure relates to this group who have produced a data set that others said, well, rather than reinvent the wheel, we'll just reutilize as much as possible your data set. So you start to see groups around the world collect similar information about different conditions. And the idea was, was that there would start to be echoes of the same messages come through and that we'd be able to have shareable or at least relatable data. And that's what you saw. And we, we started to realize that actually 
for example, if you have a patient who is on, who has a severe psoriasis and they're on an immunosuppressant, by taking them off some of their immunosuppressants, you actually risk having more severe COVID. So the actual control of their disease seemed to be more significant in terms of stabilizing them as they got hit with COVID-19 compared to the effect of an immunosuppressant because a lot of the time these immunosuppressant agents, they're not super targeted. They are targeted to a degree, but they're not targeted to the point that they don't have other effects. So did you find that the immunosuppressant was less of a risk than you had potentially thought originally? Well, it would be lovely to to be able to ultimately say we were able to group them all into one cluster, but actually we started to realize that, you know, like individual patients, everybody's different. And while they may fit to a degree within a certain range of characteristics, there was huge disparity. So people who are on systemic steroids, they were at higher risk of getting severe COVID, whereas one of the breakthrough medications for the therapy of alopecia areata, baricitinib, which has become the world's first licensed medication for alopecia areata when it was passed through by the FDA on June the 13th this year, it has actually started to be used as a therapy in ICUs alongside other medications and with those seemed to reduce time in ICU by a day. So we had this really strange but you know interesting collection of data suggesting that some of the immunosuppressants could actually be beneficial. Some of them may be more damaging. And that's what registries started to define as giving people a degree of awareness of the circumstances, the patients, where they could or shouldn't be prescribed. And it, it had quite significant impacts on how medication was prescribed, how patients were managed. Dimitri, there are some clinically valuable pieces of information that you could share about your research, what would be the key points? The most recent thing is the Secure Alopecia Registry, which kind of clusters together a lot of data about the impact of COVID on hair and the impact of hair on COVID. One of the things that I suppose can be quite upsetting is this phenomenon of what some people have called COVID hair, which is that COVID seems to induce hair shedding that can be very dramatic in people. And it tends to, what we initially found at the start of the the pandemic was that it tended to take about two months for this to kick in. And you would have people start to present saying, I'm having huge amounts of hair fall. And, you know, you you can look at it as as hair fall and say, well, you know, COVID has done some far more concerning things. But one of the things that we know is that Hair shedding in patients tends to have huge implications. It tends to occupy a huge degree of their mind. It tends to be very, very concerning. And part of the reason it does that is that as you start to see hair fall, it tends to distort your identity. So you often find people who are extremely upset. And the good guidance is, is that although there are some signs that suggest this, this increase in hair shedding is happening sooner after COVID and it doesn't happen in everyone. But as this kicks in, it does stop. It can typically last for about six weeks based on some of the data we saw, but then it it tends to grow back after that. So one of the really reassuring things is that if you have somebody who comes in and says, I'm having huge degrees of hair loss, the reassuring data is that a lot of patients who get small areas of alopecia areata tend to improve within about six months. It's about 40% of patients. That with treatment? No, that's just they tend to improve by, by... yeah, but spontaneously. By a year, we expect to see that 
about 66% of patients who get it will have, will have resolved. And I suppose it's the patients who have a more rapid trajectory, patients who have more extensive disease. I suppose one of the big discussions at the moment is this breakthrough therapy that's in the class of medications called JAK inhibitors that is making a huge difference to patients with that more severe alopecia areata or that more progressive alopecia areata. And actually, that's what our other registry is starting to focus on. This is a a global collaboration that's started with a pilot phase in Melbourne, Dublin, and Italy. It's collected just over 600 patients in the last eight months of that pilot. And the, the idea is, is that we got really good feedback from the World Congress of Hair Research that I was over here to attend, that multiple groups from across the world want to contribute to that and start collecting information. And the questions that we're sort of asking are, is this new therapy, how effective is it? How safe is it in the long run? And also compared to the existing therapies, how effective is it? How safe is it? Rheumatologists use JAK inhibitors with patients. How much crossover are you having or research collaboration are you having with the field of rheumatology? Rheumatology, it's quite interesting, actually. At an international level, we haven't specifically gone to rheumatology, but I think, you know, my experience of a dermatologist is I've had a number of patients being referred to me from rheumatologists saying, look, I've got a patient with this condition. I'm aware that they also have alopecia areata. And, you know, even though the rheumatological condition is something that if it's not treated may result in them having to be confined to a wheelchair, I think it's really upsetting them. Is there hair loss? And I wonder, can you give me any guidance? on how I might best prescribe to be considerate of that. So I have a number of patients back in Ireland who are seeing me and they're seeing a rheumatologist and there's back and forth communication saying, look, you know, maybe we could alter the dose in this way to best cover both. I've just literally in the last couple of days, we had an article accepted for publication. And you don't normally get in the journal, this will be published, you don't normally get a case report where it's just one patient who gets reported. And the, the reason this was reported was because patient came along to me and said, look, I've had really bad alopecia areata. I've also got Crohn's disease. And I had said, there's this emerging group of medications. If there is one that also covers Crohn's, perhaps your gastroenterologist may see a clinical trial where both can be covered. I, I didn't hear anything for a year, but I got an email to say, I just want to thank you. I have all my hair back. I got on that clinical trial and all the hair grew back. And as it turned out, it's a medication that has never been described in the area of alopecia areata before. So that the message really with this case report was, it's another example of one of this family of medications called JAK inhibitors that seem to be very effective or can be quite effective in treating alopecia areata. But the message is to be aware of your colleagues in other areas that prescribe these medications and make sure that you keep your ear to the ground, that you discuss with them these coming through, because what we're going to see in the coming years is, is that there is more overlap between these conditions and how they're treated. That was dermatologist Dr. Dimitri Wall from National and International Skin Registry Solutions in Dublin, Ireland. I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me today for Rheumatology Republic's In Conversation podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, search for us on your favourite podcast player and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. If you've got any tips or want to let me know what you're talking about, email me at wendy at medicalrepublic.com.au. Thanks for tuning in. 